0: Kamate, written by Te Rau Paraha of Ngāti Tua, Rangatira. The history of Ngāti Tuar was captured in Fiti Tera, the iwi exhibition host at Te Papa Tongariwa between 2014 to 2016. This from the Tiahika Vault with Jenny Smeaton. One of the most important things with this exhibition is, is the taonga. Um, it's through the taonga that the, the stories and the histories of the people are conveyed and um, they're pretty outstanding and, and each one of these beautiful taonga have incredible histories and relationships with people this is amazing and then we can come through all oh, these beautiful um, kakahu, um, a kahu a feather cloak yep that belonged to uh, a rangatira wahine, um, te rangi Topiora. Also with her huia feathers, which she wears in her hair and a portrait that's um, incorporated into the display as well. It's a fantastic taonga. And what do we have? What's, what's that? It's a pāke. It's a, a rain cape made from um, process Harakeke. And his taiaha, ke belonged uh, belong to Te raupraha. The taonga that featured in the exhibition back in 2014 are reminders of the ancestors and great chiefs of Ngāti Toa. Perhaps taonga or treasures can be found in the most unexpected ways. Here's the scene. Christchurch Library, it's the 1990s. A young student, Ross Kalman, himself a descendant of Ngāti Toa, is learning more about his own identity. He knows his tribal affiliations and that's about it. He is also learning Te Reo Māori. He stumbles across a manuscript with the words Life of Te Rau Paraha, Tamihana Te Rau Paraha, on its spine, handwritten in Te Reo Māori, over 100 pages and 50,000 words. This moment in time would stick with Ross through his study, his career and whānau life. Eventually he enrolled at Te Wānanga O Raukawa in Ōtaki and studied Māori history and Māori language fitting for the task ahead, it seems. From 2014, that same manuscript would come back into the fold. And for the next six years, with scholarships along the way to help out, Ross edited and translated the manuscript.
1: It just seemed really sad that this incredible account of Te Paraha's life and also of those tumultuous times has never really been put out in an edition or in a, in a way that's done justice to Tamihana and to the original kōrero. So at the time Hunter was writing, he was also trying to set um, the record straight in terms of what had been put out into the early colonial press.
0: The manuscript was written between 1866 and 1869. The contents focus on the events from the 1820s and 1830s, at the time the conflict was described as the Musket Wars. He puka puka Tātaku Hinga Mahia Te Paraha Nui, a record of the life of the great Te rau Paraha, was released on the 12th of November this year. Ross joins Tiahika, the final episode for 2020 from the RNZ Wellington studios. E tētahi, e tētā koe nanga kōrero e hāriaki nei. That's coming up in this week's episode of Tiahika. With Justin Murray aho. Ross Kalman was born in Upper Hutt. His father was a dairy farmer, and so they moved around a bit. Auckland, Taranaki and Rotorua, where his mum is from. Ross has worked in book publishing as an editor for Huia Publishers, a freelance writer and
1: researcher.
0: 1990s, you came across the manuscript in in the Christchurch Library. Can you take us back to that day? Yeah, Ross? well,
1: just yeah, just before then, I suppose growing up, um, you know, I grew up, had a fairly Pākehā upbringing, and most people, to look at me, would think I'm, I'm a Pākehā. I, I always knew I was Māori, but I didn't really know much about my whakapapa. And, and, but, but when I became a young adult, I became very important to me, my sense of identity and belonging to, to find that out. So luckily my grandmother was still alive at the time and I went, she lived in Wanganui I went and spent time with her and found out about my iwi and heard about her, her, her time growing up as a, as a young girl at Manukau which is just north of Ōtaki and uh, yeah, so she um, told me about um, my iwi of Ngāti Tuong Ngāti Raukawa this um, is so This Is
0: Ena. Ena? Ena, this your that's still right. It's my Ena. grandmother, Inna. Yeah.
1: In terms of when I first mm. came across the manuscript, yeah, I was in the university library and there's just a whole stack of these bound, um, big bound volumes that I found um, that, that are copies of the, the originals in the Grey Collection in Auckland. Uh, the Auckland Public Library, that's where the original manuscript is. What I initially spotted was one of the volumes said, Life of Taroparaha, Paraha, Tamihana Tarau Paraha, down the spine. I thought, whoa. Picked that up and opened it up and saw that this was like a photocopy. So it had all the handwriting, all of Tamihana's handwriting, handwritten manuscript, um, over 100 pages, all in Te Reo Māori, beautifully handwritten. And I thought, wow, and so I recognised just a few words, but I no way could I read it. But I just thought, wow, this is someone who actually knew Te Rau Paraha, who knew about his world and had spent time with him, listened to his stories, and also someone who had actually been in a lot of these events that he's writing about.
0: Tuarangatira is descended from Hoturua, the captain of the Tainui Waka, the iwi, Ngāti Toa, occupied an area in Kafia. It is from here where the tribe began its migration towards the lower North Island. Te Rau Paraha would lead this expedition. The journey would encounter death, starvation and violence along the way. The book accounts for the first leg, Teheke Tahutahuahi, or the Lighting Expedition, named after the fires lit along the coast, to give the allusion to war parties that this was a large group, when in fact it wasn't. The second leg of the journey, Teheke Tataramua, named after the Bramble Bush, would reflect the conflict the tribal group would encounter. Ngāti would settle at Kapiti Island, but not without angering nearby tribes. In 1825, the Battle of Waiorua took place on Kapiti Island. Ngāti were the victors. In fact, Ross writes, Against huge odds, Ngāti prevailed in the Battle of Waiorua and so consolidated their position in their new location. This success also attracted Ngāti Toa's allies, in particular Ngāti Awa and Ngāti Raukawa, to relocate to Kapiti and eventually settle much of the west coast of the North Island and the top of the South Island. So, so Te Rau Paraha um, was both um, revered and reviled. Um, can you sort of give a, uh, an account of who Te Rau Paraha was? Of course he, he composed uh, the uh, haka kamate, he was one of the greatest tribal leaders, a strategist. Who, who was Te Rau Paraha?
1: I, I guess in terms of what made him remarkable, he he led his people from their Akafia homeland to re- relocate to Kapiti and the lower North Island, and eventually also the upper South Island as well. He was a remarkable tribal leader in that. Just the longevity of how, how long he was around for. When he started out, it was pre-European days, pre-Muskets, and you know his tribe was under a lot of um, attack from, especially Waikato and Ngāti Maniapoto, and um, the kafir area was... And so, yeah, he made a trip down south, and... Saw the strategic benefits of the Kapiti region and the European shipping that passed through Cook Strait. That was really what the number one reason why he decided that Ngati Tor should should relocate. You know, there's lots of stories about how he um, comes through various scrapes and just comes up with amazing stratagems to. Outwit his enemies, and to escape, and to live to fight another day. Especially in his younger days, a a, you know an amazing warrior, but also um, strategist. I mentioned how the Europeans were a big part of why he wanted to come to Kapiti, and um, I think that's another side of his leadership was how he developed relationships with all those traders, whalers, and other early Europeans that visited Kapiti. He created relationships with them by being um, very generous with hospitality. So he developed relationships with all of these different um, ships' captains who would make sure they called in, and over time, of course, that allowed him to build up supplies of um, European trading goods and most particularly, of Mm. course, um, the muskets and the ammunition. News of that success travelled abroad to to Taranaki and to Waikato, and so many allies, allied groups, also migrated down, and that swelled the numbers of people that um, taroparaha Pārāhā could muster in terms of um, spreading down into to Waipaunamu. Um So yeah, I mean, just the the way he was able to 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 lead his iwi from from those yeah. pre-European days right through until um, the coming of the treaty, the New Zealand Company, obviously Governor Grey, he was still seen as such a threat even in, as a relatively old man um, that Grey organised for him to be abducted from his um, par at Plymouth and um, held in captivity for, for about 18 months. So yeah I on mean bought
0: a ship on that's board. right it was a, yeah. I
1: know a lot a lot of that time he was just going up and down the coast on, on this on this ship um and it's basically um, when you know that's been locked into in recent years it's you know there was no legal basis for that.
0: thathar petitioned the governor to return to Ōtaki, which he did in eighteen forty eight. Seeing Tamihana Te Rau Paraha's name as the author of that manuscript, what had come out before then? What had been the kind of the general narrative of Te Rau Paraha in terms of literature at the time?
1: Obviously, I was aware of the Pradisha Burns biography, which had come out in 1980, which I guess a lot of people will be familiar with. Still, probably the the kind of modern biography of Te Rau Paraha. There had been some. Put out like in the late nineteenth and yeah, late nineteenth and early twentieth centuries. But um, yeah, the Patricia Burns book was probably the the be, you know the the most well known um, book about mm. Taro Paraha. And um, as as I got into my research, I that's that was hev- heavily reliant on an early interpretation of Tamihana's manuscript, and um, so as a result, contains a lot of errors, a lot of um, just plain wrong information that came out of that early um, interpretation, uh, a translation that was done about 100 years ago, and had all sorts of reasons why, why it ended up being so bad, but one of the, the key ones was that the translator um, was working off a, a typed-up transcript of the original because the Auckland Public Library would not let the original to leave the library. I mean, I mean that's that's fair enough. But unfortunately, and unfortunately the typist um, couldn't read the handwriting very well, and so um, the typescript is just absolutely terrible. It's just um, wasn't checked back against the original. It misses whole sections and whole pages. And then the translator kind of um, just did his best with what he had. And um, my my friend Parupi Walker calls it the guesswork translation because that's kind of what it reads like if if you're familiar with the original. Yeah.
0: Gosh, so was that part of the motive of your work, or your mahi behind this, is to, um, in fact, I read somewhere it was Tamihana's, one of Tamihana's motives to write this manuscript was to set the record straight. So in in some part, was that also a motive of of your mahi?
1: Yeah, it became a motive as I became familiar and did my research into what had gone before it became a real strong motivation for me was to... It just seemed really sad that this incredible account of Te Rauparaha's life and also of those t- tumultuous times has never really been put out or in, a, in an edition or in a, in a way that's done justice to Tamihana and to the original kōrero. So, yeah, that became a big motivation. And I think also at the time Tamihana was writing... He was also trying to set um, the record straight in terms of what had been put out into the early colonial press um, by by the New Zealand Company or or by the government or you know people sympathetic to the, those parties who basically chose Rau Paraha to be like the enemy of the peace and absolutely ran him down at any opportunity. And Tommy um, Tamihana, although he didn't actually read English, he was aware of some material, uh, you know, back in, in those times, some material was published in Te Reo Māori and English in, in newspapers, side by side. Yes. And there, there was one particular propaganda piece that was put out at the time of the Waikato War that was saying about what the government would do to anyone who basically resisted the government, and they likened. They said, "See what we did to Turopataha? We kept him tied up like a pet parrot um, on a string." This is after George Grey um, organised him to be illegally abducted from his par in, in 1846. So yeah, Tamihana was absolutely furious and wrote to all all the people he knew to just you know. Basically, have it, have that put right, and I think that sort of thing was probably in the back of his mind when he when he put pen to paper. That that would have only come out um, maybe mm. one one or two years before he started writing his his um, his manuscript.
0: In the book, this there's, there's a strong sense of timeline, and so um, Tamihana was he was writing about stuff when you you say he sought outside sources because he was only a small child. At that time.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's incredible what he did witness because it seems incredible to us now, but even as a toddler, he was taken along in all these war parties. And so, you know, you think, oh, you know, you think Tommy Tamihana's only five at this stage when you're reading something, but he's saying, I was there, I was carried by the warriors, and I remember this battle. And then the way he writes about the battle, for example, um, the siege of Kaipoi, when the at Kaiapoi Ngāti all these uh, like rifle pits that had um, fortifications in front of them, and they, but they were sunk into the ground. And Tamihana was saying that the smoke rising out of the rifle pits was like the smoke of the city of London, um, because he'd he'd uh, later on went to London. So he's just you know he's and he was saying like mm-hmm. the cracking of the muskets was like a hot tower fire, the cracking of the tawa when, when it's heated. So it's, you know, it's amazing that we've got these accounts and they're so um, vivid because Tamihana was actually there even though he was very young. Um, but yeah, there, there is some information that he undoubtedly did get from other sources um, including Ngati Toa who who was still alive in the 1860s. But also too some he spoke with Ngai Tahu people, with Muopoko people and, and, other, and other elders of his day and he puts all sorts of interesting perspectives in there.
0: The manuscript is written in Te Reo Māori. To assist Ross, he sought out help from Piripi Walker, Hene Jacob, Jane McRae and others to critique those early drafts. The Māori language of the time was at another level, peppered with humour, as Ross explains. The work that it would have taken you to kind of deconstruct, or not even deconstruct, but kind of, you know, apply, because it's what's the great thing about the book is that one page is in te reo, the other page is the English um, translation. So um, in terms of... Uh, the Hunter's use of classic te reo Māori and capturing the the nuance and meaning of the language. What was the most difficult part or what were some of the challenges of, of translating the uh, the text?
1: It's, it's interesting, this classical Māori language. I mean, a lot of the grammar is, is different to what, what we use today. So it, it just took a lot of just reading and rereading. And the key thing for me was to try and keep reading it till I could actually Almost hear Tommy Hunter's voice inside my head, because sometimes you know when when people write write things, sometimes it actually, for example, they're actually using humour, and you know when you, you you pick up this old manuscript and you think, oh, this is such serious stuff, yes, and, and but you kind of actually realise oh, he's actually being funny here. And um, and it's as the translator, that's the real trick, is to try and um, almost hear the tone in the writer's Mm. voice as they're writing something. Um, Yeah, another another trap I found was that there's so many words that are familiar, and you think you know what the word means, just reading it over and thinking you know what it means. um, That was one. Do you have
0: any examples, um, Ross? Any kupu that stood out for you like that?
1: Takiwa, which we nearly always use today to mean um, like a rohe, like, a, you know, yep, region, in the region or, or so on. In, in the manuscript, it's almost always used for time or, or the word, you know, wa. So he's saying towa Takiwa, like at that time. And another interest, interesting thing too is that there's very few transliterations um, in the manuscript. Tumihun is really aware of the time and period he's he's writing about, and I think he, he took a lot of care to phrase things in ways that people would have used to talk about things in those um, pre-European days. You know, I, there's still probably some sections I haven't quite got right, but we, I think the majority now are, are pretty close to what Tommy Tamihana intended. Yeah.
0: I mean, from the book you get the sense that he, he has this, um, you know, innate connection to his father, his love for his dad, but he didn't have any um, descendants or any children. So why do you think he had no children? Is there any theories that you have around this?
1: He he met his life partner Ruta um, around the age of twelve or thirteen. As people sort of got you know married um, very young. At about the age of sixteen, he became a Christian. So I think he met his life partner. They they you know spent their whole lives together, and um, and unfortunately were not able to have children. And 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 um, you know, I guess you know I suppose a lot of traditional leaders could get around that by just having more wives um but as I say, Tamihana was a Christian, so that that's not wasn't really an option for him yeah the, those between those two of them they were just not able to have children and they adopted oh. various people at various times, but none of the adoptions um seems to have really stuck kind of thing and so I think that this manuscript was definitely, you know, a way of him leaving a legacy. He wasn't able to have children, but maybe he could leave this for for posterity.
0: While Te Paraha wrote the famous haka kamate, there is no mention of it in the manuscript.
1: Uh, my my theory is that it was, it was something that happened quite early on in his career, and um, Ah yes, and Tamihana um, was relying a lot on the accounts of people that were still alive in the 1860s, and um, as a result, like the early years of Tadoparaha's life. There's not as much detail, and and so sometimes he just alludes to things without going into it too much. Well, there's just little small sketchy details. And, and another example, of something else that's not in there, is the way that he um, assumed um, the mentor of Hapeke Tuarangi, the Ngāti Rākaua leader, um, who was his uncle and early mentor. And there's another, you know, that's another famous incident in his younger life was when. When Happy was on his deathbed, and he asked who would succeed him, and and none of the um, older, more senior, um, you know, warriors put up their hands, but but Te came forward and said that he would succeed. And and again, that's another story that's actually yes. not in the manuscript. So yeah, no, it's it's an interesting one. But uh, yeah, I think um, we have. Especially in R240 tour to thank for um, a lot of that kōrero about that the um, how you know the backstory behind Kamati, um, yeah, in terms of preserving that that knowledge.
0: Tamihana eventually commissioned a painting and a stone memorial in Ōtaki, which remains today. Does the painting still around? Did I read somewhere that it's it's lost or damaged, or is it still around Yeah, today?
1: It's, a, it's a mystery what's happened to that painting. Um, I'd love to, to know where it is and, and, and see it. And be, we hear about it, um, there's a really cool account from a journalist who visited Tamihana in 1875 and spoke about the the he had two large portraits one of Ruta and one of one of taroparaha that kind of watched over him as he sort of um rattled around his huge um mansion uh, his uh, his homestead he just lived there by himself uh with these two paintings so it's a really evocative image we have of Tamihana. um so Ruta died in eighteen seventy one um, and Tamihana died in 1876. So, yeah, but and, and, and of mm. course, yeah, the stone memorial at Ōtaki, that was funded entirely by tamihana, Um cost, I think, 200 pounds. And quite quite sadly, oh. too, tamihana, um there's no marking, uh, no gravestone for Tamihana, so he's he's buried next to rota. There's a headstone for rota at Ōtaki, at, at but, yeah, there's, there's not one for Tamihana's.
0: So, so, what are you most proud of in in completing and, of course, releasing this this book?
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's been almost uh, an ambition of my whole adult life to 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 um, do this book. It was quite an amazing process. I mean, I think my my wife got a bit sick of it after about three years in. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Did of... it
0: consume your? Every, like uh, yeah, I mean, because, or... of,
1: you know, I had to, to work as well. So I was doing this in the evenings and on the weekends. Um, but, yeah, it was really, really an emotional moment for me when I went, went to my publisher's office in Auckland, Auckland University Press, and uh, my publisher, Sam, uh, presented me with a copy of the book. Yeah, just really felt... Just all, all the, the ancestors, all those who have gone before, really just came... To the front of my mind, just really, you know, I've really done that, done this on behalf of them, and I've done it, mm. I guess, for, for for my children and also for for all the descendants um, of of Rauparaha Paraha. It's, I think this it's it's an amazing insight into into those times, um, the the sort of that um, pre treaty of Waitangi world, um, which I think people will find really, hopefully, find really fascinating.
0: He puka puka ta e nga mahi a terau nui, a record of the life of the great terau paraha, translated and edited by Ross Kalman. Te na kwe mo o mahi rangatira. Kwa taikitemutsinga o tine hotaka, that's the show for the week and, of course, the year. And what a year it has been. Ka tahi te tau rereke ko special mention must be given to everyone that has contributed to Tiahika over this past year. Namhi Mayo mai o ha kia koutou katoa. O tira he mihi anō tēnei tā tātou kai whakahaere inga ngā tapu-tapu to the Tiahika engineer Alex Hama he te tēnei kia koe. Kei tu atu ki nei te mihi koutou te maria. Koutou ra etoutouko mayana hōtaka uh, nei, nei rā Te tembihi. Uh, Tiahikar te returns next year. In the meantime, for your summer listening, download the podcast RNZ Tiahikar on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts. Kiao paita koutou wa otero matsi. Minga ahua tanga katoa o Ote kirihe mete, mete toho. Keep safe, look after each other, and we'll catch you back in the new year. Tina Tato Katsua.